Welcome to the Vitality Coach Podcast with the Mojo Maker and host Nikki Fogden Moore, the Vitality Expert, dedicated to helping you be the CEO of your business and your life with special industry and life-leading guests, top tips on how you can create that magical blend of healthy, wealthy, and wise for CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, and people who do things with life. Hi guys, welcome back to the Mojo Maker podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Fogdemore, and I always get really excited when I have extraordinary guests that come from all over the world and they bring in their passion, their stories, their dedication, and their journey across, I guess, their own personal landscape from professional challenges to really seeing a dedication to their own purpose. And the today's guest is Philippe Duchard. Philippe, a welcome from D2 Design. You are based in Melbourne, but you're very, very French. I am French indeed. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you for having me today. It's a real pleasure and an honor. And I know that behind uh, you sitting there, people can see your elements of D2 around designing for the market function, but planet profits as well as people. So let me just give everyone a little introduction today. Philippe is an award-winning international uh, industrial designer. He's got over 25 years experience. They wouldn't know that looking at him. He looks not a day over 21. Um, he's launched numerous projects and an award-winning uh, design for a chair as well. Now, he's got a really interesting background for industrial design is that he's also got mechanical engineering background. So he moved over and founded his design, I think, company. I would call it a bit of a culture, to be honest. In 2013, he's been featured on TEDx for challenging the mindset around how we perceive design in our society, whether it's inside an office space a residential structure or inside our communities. And the one thing I love about Philippe is that not only is he passionate about making a positive difference to the world through his work as a designer, but he's decided to come out from behind the computer and CAD drawings and actually talk about this and share the why behind it. So Philippe, your quote is, I can design a better world with my own two hands. And I think that's a fantastic and a very bold statement. And today I'm going to challenge you, we're going to talk about limitless thinking or unlimited thinking around design, deities, and dedication to purpose. So how does that sound? That sounds really good. I mean... So I guess one of the things that you and I connected with a long time ago was just looking around the edge of the box. So not kind of doing what everyone else was doing, but thinking surely there's more out there and really trying to find that connection with people, purpose, and the planet, but also make sure it was profitable because then we knew that by doing that, we could give back more and make more of a statement. So before we get started, how on earth did you get into industrial design and this really unwavering dedication to imagination, not just function and form, but really your ability to reimagine function and how that could actually blend in with landscape, blend in with people's lifestyles and provide a sustainable solution for our mother earth as well? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, thank you. It's a very broad and very uh, generous introduction today. Uh, I think for me, it all started when I was 16. Uh, I was uh, barely doing okay at school. Um, I was one of those uh, disengaged students, I guess. 
I was a B minus to just sitting at the back of the, the room and doing the, the least amount of possible so that I could just get my grade and, and you know, cruise by. And um, both my parents are engineers and they really want me to follow suit on the engineering path. And having a B minus grade was not very conducive to reach the, the top engineering schools in, uh, in France. So they had me take a, a career counselor test. And the test came back and I sat with a career counselor and she pretty much said that I wouldn't have the brain to have my baccalaureate, especially not in math and physics. I wasn't made for that. I should really forget about any type of university studies or you know, graduate studies beyond baccalaureate. I didn't have the brain for that. And she mentioned that the best I could in this life was to be, do something with my hands. That's literally what she said. And maybe like a cabinet maker. And I would be on the top of my game if I would make violins someday or something like this. Okay. So that um, was all those years ago. That was all those years ago. And actually she presented me the, the profile that she shared. And then most of my colleagues at the time, they had a profile with two strong spikes in, the, the spikes were both interest and skills combined. And they had two strong spikes in math and physics. And I had those, not as strong, uh, but I had all the spikes all over the, the spectrum. I had spikes in, in, in art, I had spikes in grammar, I had spikes in logics, which is a different way of thinking. And I think the, the career counselor did her best, but she couldn't quite picture what was that type of mind about. But two years later, I did enter uh, engineering, mechanical engineering school, and um, I was throwing a party at my place, as you do when you're a student. And uh, there were about 30 people in a, a tiny bedroom of mine. And one of the girls invited her boyfriend and he introduced himself as an industrial designer. And I never heard the term before. So because I'm a visual being, I thought, well, industrial design, that's probably a guy who picks up the colors in the industrial facility and, you know, paint the, the, the pipes red and blue for gas and water or something like this. So how, how dumb is that job? Like, seriously. So I was making fun of the guy all evening. And then at the end of the evening, I just said, well, you know, apologies for my behavior, but I had to entertain people. But what is industrial design? And his answer was, I'm the CEO of a design studio here. And how about you come along and I'll show you around. And that's what he did. He's, he was extremely generous. He uh, spent two hours with me explaining the whole design process. And you know, there are moments in your life where you know you have to pay attention. You have the brain that is firing up and you have the gut saying, you know, there's something going on here. Well, that was one of those moments in my life. And up to a point where I didn't really think that I wanted to be a designer. I really thought already that I, I was wired or I was already a designer. Like I had like all the ingredients or the, the soil was here and I just needed that seed on top of it or something mm -hmm. like this. And the first thing I did when I came back to my uh, little tiny room is just to um, dig back this um, um, like career counseling test I had. And what I saw is kind of a, for me, what I had in mind, that was a perfect match for a designer because you need to be, uh, one definition I heard from designers to be a specialist, so someone that knows nothing about everything. And, uh, and I like, kind of like this definition because you need to be able to understand finance, you need to understand uh, sociology, marketing, behaviors, uh, you need to understand different logics, you need to understand mechanical engineering, and you don't need to be, be an expert in any of those but you need to have enough of the area of, of covering so that you can have the conversation and understand different aspects of the, the product. So that's how it's, uh, it all started. So you're, you, know, you had your epiphany moment when you were at college and, and that generosity of time from someone who was already very passionate and purposeful about their work uh, it would al allow them to say, hey, come follow me, I'm going to give you a sneak peek. 
And then you fast forward uh, many, many years of moments because I know that I spoke about unlimited thinking and this is a great example of no matter what boxes were put in place for you to tick in terms of career, actually wasn't really one that was a known definition. And that happens to so many people. What if what you're meant to be doing hasn't even really been defined yet? What if you are the, the, the new definer? What if you are the pioneer or the trailblazer? So many people listening to this may not realize that in all that time, they've been forced to fit into a system when they could be part of creating the future. And so you did that. You decided to go and evolve your work and for personal reasons and, and moving across to Australia. And I know we'll come on to some of the other stuff in between. Why did you set up D2 in Melbourne? Tell me about that choice, you know, coming from Europe and now choosing mm-hmm. Melbourne. Um, well, the, the choice was, um, there, there were a couple of triggers. So I had to close my business in France after eight years and I didn't have a great experience with the whole, the way the friends deal with entrepreneurs and, and the mindset, it's, it's very flawed. So I was on my way out as actually I was uh, about 10 years ago, I did apply to um, immigrate to Canada um, because that's where I studied industrial design. And as the universe is, uh, has some sense of humor, uh, I also met my wife uh, at, uh, at that time, and uh, she was coming from Australia. We met in France, and I just told her, well, you know, I'm kind of my way out, and I, this is where I want to land. And it just happened that Canada, uh, despite all the relationships I have and the sponsors and everything, didn't um, like my application, and I was, um, I was denied the, the, the right to immigrate to, Can- to Canada. And at the same time, uh, I moved to uh, Germany with my, with my wife and in, uh, we were in Berlin. And in Berlin, they were, uh, they were trialing a new Australian short pathway to immigrate to Australia within just a few months. Like uh, that was a four month process versus at least, you know, 14 to 18 months for when, when you do a normal application. So we tried that and we were accepted immediately. And, uh, and long story short, after six months, we just packed everything and moved to, moved to Melbourne. And, uh, and soon after that, I started the first business. And soon after that, I came back to, um, to product design, industrial design. So we talk about people, profit and planet. In fact, yes. um, they sit in that trifecta on mm-hmm. your triple bottom line. How do you approach everything you do with those three anchors, Philippe? And how does that filter the clients that you work with being those your non-negotiables for how you deliver your work? So for me, the, the, the triple bottom line is more a personal philosophy and a, and a, and a, and a vision. So I, I kind of distinct the two things. So that's kind of what I call the technical aspect on how to develop products. <clears throat> so there's a mix of design for function, marketing, and business so that you de-risk the, the, the venture of hardware. Uh, when, when you go out there. So that's the kind of the technicalities. That's more the visionary aspects. It's like, how can you do that and have the best impact in the world? So I, I think that there's many layers we can unpack here. The one is 80% of the impact of a product or service is set at the design stage. Mm-hmm. So in my eyes, in my views, designers have a huge responsibility when they design a new product. Mm-hmm. Because after the fact, course correcting is super hard and it's about sometimes habit change and everything, which is about education and changing habit. That's very difficult. It's much easier to tackle that at the design stage. At the same time, uh, I kind of force my client to you know, buy into that vision. 
what I do is I do my best to educate and to tell why I think it's important. And, um, and some of my clients now are, are really reflecting on that. So I'm currently designing a, an accessory for a bike with, uh, with um, a new client. And we talk about the circular economy. We talk about the triple bottom line. So how can we design a product that we can uh, recycle, reuse, repair, upcycle, um, and, and get better and without you know, having to buy a new one every few years or something like this? So it's about conversations and, and it's about you know, value and how we, how we fit with the, the, the client relationship. And do you feel there's more of a shift now that it's acceptable to run a planet people-driven businesses equally as profitable and that that's just, you know, somewhat requirement to make sure that these type of businesses are sustainable? Yeah, it's, that's very interesting. So to give you a bit of a context, the, the first time I talked about sustainability to a CEO, that was about 27 years ago or something. And I was designing an industrial machine for that, uh, for that client. And I just say, you know, well, now the, the design is kind of set, you know, we still need to work on it. The, the main lines are kind of set. So how about we have a conversation about sustainability and materials and how, what was the impact of that? And I remember the CEO just turned to me and said, well, you know, I'm here to, be, I'm here to do business. And I was like, whoa, okay. It's, it's not one or the other, but you see, this is a business thing. And I said, okay, that's, that's fine. And about two weeks later, he just came back to me and said, you know, I have two kids. If I trash the planet, what kind of planet I'm going to leave to my kids? So can we resume the conversation and see what we can do about the sustainable aspect of this, uh, of this project? Which we did. And, and there's not so much we could do at the time. There were limitations with the material. There, there was an extremely technical um, product. So, uh, but we, we did find a number of ways that we can improve the whole, the whole process nevertheless. So that's how it kind of started. And at the time, so when you were talking about sustainability or social impact and everything, I was like, whoa, you know, what are you talking about? Yeah. And today it's more mainstream, I would say. So if I have yeah. a conversation, people don't look at me with big eyes and wondering what I'm talking about. You know, one of the things I like to do on this show is we all know what the right thing to do is. I mean, I like to make sure when people listen to the show, they grab a couple of nuggets couple of pieces of do right now stuff. So let's give people maybe one or two questions that whatever they are embarking on that's related to design, even if it's redesigning your living room or your office space because you're working from home now, what would be that bottom line that questions that you could give anyone to go, are we doing this for longevity, recyclability, usability, those sorts of things? So what are three questions people can take in terms of unlimited thinking in design with those three functions? Well, that's a good one. I, w- I may have to reflect on this one a bit, but uh, I think what one is uh, addressing the lifespan of the, the product. Great, yeah. And th- that's a very big one. So we can talk about fashion for that. Uh, there's, a, there's a brand in France um, called Girbeau. Uh, they do kind of French touch you know, um, yeah. type of uh, type of fashion, and it's, they, they are not bothered by the short term fashion. They do their own thing. It's a long term game they're playing. But I I first bought a jean many many years ago from that brand. I had a jean for about sixteen years until it started to break down, and and the jean was expensive. It's like a three hundred euro jean. So you know, the first time you buy that, it's like you know six or seven hundred dollars here. So it's like whoa, that's a bit much. But if you look at the price over 16 years, and if you look at what I pay for a Lewis or another type of denim brand here, so for 100 bucks, you have a jean that is not as good in terms of cut and everything, is not as comfortable. And after a year, it's kind of gone. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you repeat that over 16 years, well, you see that the brand that is trying to do the right thing in terms of um, culture and vision is actually more performing from the yeah. financial point of view. Great. So you've got, you know, this quality over quantity yeah. kind of volume lifespan. Mm. So whatever yeah. you, and I just noticed before when you spoke about this current client you've got, you're looking at how you can recycle and repair rather than throwing out and replace. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so what would be number two for anyone embarking on a design brief that they mm. should put into that in terms of a personal question around people? So the other thing is, can the product be repaired? Can it be dismantled easily? Can it be separated? Can the material be separated easily and then put in the right bin, so to speak? I mean, repairing is a big issue. Um, very current story. Um, I, had a, I have a workstation behind me to do CAD design. There are kind of specific computers that are a bit expensive to do CAD and everything. The workstation crashed yesterday. And, um, and so the motherboard seems to be dead after, you know, I called the hotline and everything. And, and the, the immediate reaction from the people is like, well, you need to get a new one. And, and there's no, well, we're going to repair that or, or okay, we're going to send a new motherboard that is more performing. That, that doesn't, it's not in their mindset. It's like, okay, uh, just dump that and, and get a new one. And that bothers me because maybe the yeah. m- motherboard is dead, but the screen is fantastic. Yeah. Like I know what you're talking is. about. You know, Mac, MacBook Pro, I had, yeah. a, I had an upgraded version because of all the video and everything, and they were just so brilliant. And anyone that was a bit of a techie loved them because they could go in and work on the motherboard, right? But the new ones, everything was built in, so you couldn't take the motherboard out and upgrade it or do extra storage or anything. It was just, you know, repeat. And then Apple was a great example, and so are all these technology companies and the number of cords that I have like I laid out on the floor the number of cords and cables. In fact, I'll be posting that photo soon. It's, I feel so terrible and I feel so angry at companies that say they give back to charity and, and everything else, but actually all they do is create more waste. And, um, you know, the tiny little sort of A and B kind of end-to-end thing changes everything and you have to find another cord. And I know every household, probably if we stretched all the cables we own, it would go around the world like a ball of yeah. wool, you yeah, know. many times over, yes. But, yeah. So, you know, in many cases, consumers are for, uh, will feel they're forced to just go with the flow, whereas I know now there's a real uprising of, of influences and, and people mm. that are going, no, I, I'm going to not buy plastic, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try and be as... But it means foregoing instant gratification sometimes and waiting mm. for something. Um, but there's not a lot of products that are repairable these days. You don't get that choice. That's that's true, and that's there are two ways to see that. It's either okay, well, we don't have the choice, and this is you know really upsetting and whatever, or um, this is an opportunity. So for me, I think like if if you're a startup or if you're an entrepreneur, or even if you're an established company and that has its its pulse on the, on the market, that's the time to do that because people want that, and I would. I would claim that today, and because of you know COVID and what's happening, we may have some kind of e- economic repercussion, and that make that business even more relevant. So if I tell you today, oh, you're gonna buy the next MacBook Pro, but you know in three years it's uh, obsolete. I think I just want to recap as well. Remember, um, it's not about having uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of a design project to brief in. It's about your everyday decisions 
around the lifespan of your product, the usability of it, and making conscious choices uh, with your transactions around anything you're using in the kitchen, in the bathroom, in the bedroom, in the living room, and not throwing stuff out, but thinking about the quality over quantity, and a lot of brands are doing it. And probably the third thing uh, is planet. So I think the final question, I think people get afraid. It's like when you say buy organic and then people say, I can't afford to, so I take my kids to McDonald's. I mean, we, it's not chance, it's choice. And it always pays off in the end to go for quality, always, just like your um, gene story, right? So what would you say that working on those three things, does that make your choice of design more expensive than others or just more of an enjoyable journey? Um, for me, it's more of an enjoy, enjoyable journey. And the thing is, uh, so I have conversation with CEO of different companies and I'm stunned by the difference of mindset. So if you think that um, you need to do, you have to do sustainability because the market is demanding and your board had told you to, and, and then it feels like an obligation, it's kind of compulsory and so is the social impact and you have to feel formed and so if you see that's compulsory, then in your mindset, it's just an added cost. Mm. What's happening at the end, it's more costly. So there's another angle. It's like, okay, this is an opportunity. If you look at that in terms of opportunity, what can we do better? Is there a way to design a product that is more sustainable and make more profit and maybe more meaning? And if you have that mindset, then you realize that it's not only possible, but there are case studies around that. So I have, I have a few, but there's one in particular. So uh, many years ago, I designed a product uh, with one specific sustainable methodology called Cradle to Cradle. And, and it's the, the, the goal is to um, really manage the uh, environmental sustainable impact. And uh, as we were doing that, we managed to multiply the profit margin of that particular range of product by four. So you don't have to choose between sustainability and profit. You can blend the two. You can think smarter. You can choose to find an opportunity. You can address a new market that is willing and happy to buy your product. So it's just possible. That's just what I'm trying to say. Well, I think what we should do maybe on the blog is if you want to send me a couple of links to some great case studies, um, we can direct people there. But let's just bring this back a little bit to the passion behind limitless thinking. and. You know, as I say, everyone kind of knows that this all exists, but this is not the reason why you're on the show. The reason you're on your show is because you are completely dedicated to impact. So when you can't do that, you actually have an allergic reaction because it's not an alignment. And speaking of alignment, I want to talk about deities and the role that spirituality, connection, and creativity have in our workplace these days to not only show up in a functional level, but in a conscious level. And um, on another episode, we'll talk much more detail about this because we are trying to um, keep to a little bit of time for those that are listening, but you actually are a Buddhist monk. So we're bringing uh, a deep sense of purpose and a deep sense of self uh, and not only in the planet in terms of your business, but your connection to the philosophies behind community culture and that service. So how did you, you had one epiphany when you were 16 and then 20 something at university, and then you had what we would call a spiritual awakening, I guess, at some point as well. I, um, I started meditation when I was 21 or 22. Um, I, the first meditation I did was really strictly by myself when, when I was 18, but I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but I met my teacher um, when I was, let's say, 22. So 
for me, um, it's it is a practice. So it's not it's not a magical wand or anything like this. It's a daily practice. It's mm -hmm. a way of approaching life. It's a way of um, dealing with your own self and emotions and your own stories. And and the way I see it today is I spent maybe the first twenty years of my life being educated in the school program. And I spent the last, the, the, the next 20 years from 20 to 40 to really uh, deepening my spiritual life and my meditation practice. And from that, I changed and I, and I had a different relationship with the world, which is the whole point, by the way. And then I could re-enter the world, so to speak, and, and have a different uh, behavior because I have a different intention. So um, that's the overall arch. And do you feel that that consciousness, um, I call it the evolution of self, just like you, we evolve products, has assisted you in your creativity around what I call the reimagination of someone comes to you with a brief, but mm -hmm. when you're in your creative zone, you actually get access to um, ideas that haven't been thought of before, and that's where your innovation comes from. Yes. Uh, I mean, for me, the process of creativity, I still don't quite understand it. Right? And I don't think we're supposed to, though. I think that's the point. Yeah, there's some. I forgot the the, the book, um, but there's a book talking about the muse, and and the muse is not yours. It's you know it comes to you, but um, so you you're not quite a creator. And and there are moments like this. So um, when I talk about creativity, I divide that in kind of three phases. So the first phase I call that immersion. So if I need to create a a chair, let's say. I need to understand, you know, what's the chair for? What's the environment? Who's going to buy? Uh, what's the profile of buyer? Where it's going to be in, in, in their place and all that. So I need to really, really dive into that world to understand what it's, what's all about that chair, what, what's going to make it special. And then there is the creative work. And this one is not glamorous at all. It's about okay. uh, sketching and spending a lot of time finding ideas and not finding them. That's the whole thing. So you're going to sketch, or one of the exercises we were given when I was um, a student is to sketch 500 times the same drawing or the same idea, because you can't. <laughs> Emotionally, it's a torture, so you have to move through some personal emotional journey. But there's a purpose for that. So the whole idea is just to sit and, and kind of really force yourself and immerse yourself in the creative process, and you won't get the answer. And the third phase, and that's where kind of the magic happens, uh, I call that letting go. And letting go is exactly the place you were mentioning. It's like the idea comes to you. Mm -hmm. And where it comes from, I don't really know. I never felt the idea was mine, by the way. Uh, yeah. that, that never, never happened to me. I felt the idea was maybe from my subconscious or from somewhere else. I, I, I just really, I, I just don't know after all these years. But if you don't do one and two, the third doesn't happen. Like you yeah. need to do the work. If you yeah. don't do the work, it's, it's not happening. It's not, it, in 27 years, it happened only once that I got the answer on the day of the brief. And, and, and I, I remember very I clearly, I was sitting with a client yeah. and was, she was giving me the brief and I just sketched something because I kind of knew that was the answer. And I just turned the pad and I said, is that it? And she was like, well, yeah, it is exactly what I had in mind. But that happened once. The, all the other time I had to work. Yeah. But maybe you'd done other work before that moment. You just hadn't realized it because there's lots of different, you know, alignments and flow. And that really brings me back to that statement about doing the work. I always say when I'm talking on stage or I'm take, saying to my clients, you know, 
Buddhist monks don't come out of their service in the monastery with a certificate and go straight to the pub and go, woo, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. becoming present and being conscious mm-hmm. is a moment by moment practice and it's yeah. everything on every living organism and it's, it's electrifying, but you can't just forget about it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just like any muscle that needs to be flexed. Yes. So the creativity, the spirituality and the connection that everybody craves and talks about only comes when you're actually present with it and dedicated to doing the work. And so that's what I want to kind of wrap up with is, you know, I wrote a quote uh, when I was sort of researching our chat a little bit and it, it was about deities and a deity or God is a supernatural being considered divine or sacred. That's from the Oxford Dictionary of English, uh, like a God or a goddess. And I think we've actually turned society on its head and we've made a lot of people into gods or goddesses in recent times. We have put um, rock stars and reality TV stars and athletes and things, and yet some of the most godlike people you wouldn't even know about because they're so humble and they quietly do remarkable work behind the scenes. So on the last part of our show today in Unlimited Thinking, I want to talk about courage and dedication to quietly uh, pursue the road less traveled you know, we've had lots of discussions about being the ones to stand up for what and to do what's right. So what piece of advice would you give to someone that goes, oh, just trust those crazy ideas. Hmm. How, how do you back yourself when everybody else is doing something different? Um, so I'll give maybe a slightly different perspective. So the, the, the practice of meditation eventually will give you a, a very strong sense of oneness, meaning it's not you separated from the universe. It's not you competing with other. That doesn't mm-hmm. exist. It's just one thing. When you have this feeling, I would say, or, you know, then everything you do is based on, on, on values and what are your core values. And, and my values are benefiting all beings. It's, you know, it's irregardless of who you are and everything. So if I have a conversation with anyone, I'll try to bring some value to that conversation. And when I design product, because this is what I do, I need to bring value in that conversation too. So there's a technical value, but there's a visionary value too. So how do you stand? For for me, one of the triggers was when I was just a young man. And it happened that um, um, I visited my grandpa. I, I usually didn't see much of him, maybe once or twice a year at the most. And I had the privilege to uh, visit him just a few days before he passed away. And I think he knew because he sat with me and he said, oh, Philip, I need to tell you uh, a few things about life. And he told me about integrity and all the values that he had. And he, he was very, very strong about. But one of the things he told me, he said, Philip, you need to take the road less traveled because this is where you're going to learn the most. And I actually, I'm quite moved when I say that today. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one of the best advice with some other advice from my teacher, because that's, that's what we need to do. I know we always complain with visionaries because they disrupt the status quo, but there will be no Apple without a visionary. There will be no Elon Musk and SpaceX without a visionary. There will be none of those companies and those, there will be no Mother Teresa, um, you know, um, work without her vision. And she was very disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to have those people that, you know, um, trigger a bit of status quo. And I'm not saying I, I'm not at that level in any, any stretch of imagination, but what I do is, is carried by the values I had, the value I received, and also the values I've developed. 
um, it, you know, again, I had to go through my own personal journey, uh, you know, the, to be who I am today and, and trying to benefit the world with the skills I have. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful and it comes through everything. And let's just sign off uh, today's show with a little bit of reality, which is just because we believe in all these things and just because we're courageous enough to do the road less traveled, no one else knows that more than I do. Um, you know, I'm doing it daily, you know, even things like learning guitar in the last mm -hmm. couple of months and just, you know, I just got myself the most magic Taylor guitar, which, you know, and I think sometimes we're like, Oh, I shouldn't do it. But that creativity from music has unlocked so much more for me in my authorship and my connection to enjoyment because I give so much out for my clients. And I think when you and I were talking, these courageous steps we take that we're forced into, because as you say, we're one, also come with roadblocks because we um, get quite confronting for people. And when we're in sovereign self, you don't know how to handle it when people don't do the right thing because it is a kryptonite to your personal values of truth, honesty, trust, integrity. So how do we navigate that as leaders? Well, you and I were speaking about, you know, being clear on your purpose and setting upfront boundaries, non-negotiables and frameworks with anyone you go into a business relationship with yes. and how important that is not just to think it, but to articulate that. Do, would you agree? Mm. Definitely. And, and again, I don't want to say I have all the answers there. I do not. Uh, I'm still working progress. But the thing is, after all those years, I'm, I'm getting better of really articulating what are my values, the way I work, and is that a good fit? And uh, so now when we start working with some of my clients, we do what we call a pilot. And the pilot is not so much addressing, am I, am I able to uh, design a product for them? I'm quite confident in my capabilities as a designer, but it's more, is the, the value I'm bringing for you? Do you yeah. appreciate that value? Do you understand where it's coming from and what's the impact? And do we like working with each other? Because, you know, there's that human factor. Um, we can have the best technical possible project in front of us and we just don't get along. We just, it, it just doesn't work. And that's okay, you know, in so uh, today, I, I tend to think I will try to approach that with as much compassion as possible. Uh, if someone doesn't quite meet all my values, that's okay. Um, it's more about their intention and their attitude. Are they open to maybe, you know, be challenged a bit or be, are they receptive to the way I think and, and the potential or the opportunity that it, it brings? Uh, and sometimes they are not, and then we know it's not going to going to work and sometimes they are and I, I will give I will definitely give a chance to the to the journey and I think you know most recently we spoke about having the courage to go no and then what to do next about it so yeah. just because you have a personal responsibility to self doesn't mean you can't say hey listen this this construct this working relationship doesn't quite fit because there's mm -hmm. no use hanging on to something that isn't equally or uh, mutually agreeable, but for so long people, why do people stay in there, especially in business, because they're afraid of reputation. And I know that that's something that's really important. When you're a pioneer, you feel like a bit of a mad scientist and you are the black sheep. Uh, you might be seen as a swan, but you know, you've just gone through this recently as well at the risk of alienating yourself from the comfortable group. You actually took a stand for something. And I was like super proud of you when you did that. And, but it, it gave you heart palpitations for a moment. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, so was that that um, situation where um, you try to be compassionate, and at the same time, some people don't really understand that you're out of compassion. Yes. They just don't get that, and they think yeah. it's a tr aggression a trick. or yeah. a trick of the self <laughs> yeah. or something like that, which has nothing to do with this. Yes. And and you know, after you know some conversation, if that you know, if you repeat the conversation, it's not going anywhere. I have to make the decision. I have to make the call and say, you know, it's. I think that's not going to work. Yeah. And um, and yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. You know, I'm I'm you know I have a spiritual life. I do meditation, and at the same time, I run a business. So you know, it's uh, there are very practical aspects um, related to that. And sometimes it it does hurt the business side. But long term, I, I think it's I have no concern. It's 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 going to work for the for the better. So Philippe, you've shared some amazing uh, stories and I would just say like a tiny toe in the water for truly how magical and enriching your journey's been up until this point. Uh, so we're lucky to have you based down under and um, you know, as, as much beauty as in France, you're bringing some of that here. Just to sign off, what website can we send people to so they can go and check out more about your innovation design products and how to get in contact with you? So it turns out I have a new website. Um, it's called um, d2melbourne.com.au. It's been launched just a few, a few days ago, um, so that's good. And the blog and case studies haven't been populated yet, um, so I, I will need a bit of time to, to do that. One way is also to connect with me on LinkedIn. I think that's an easier way because I publish quite a number of uh, articles and posts, and what I publish will give you a, a fairly good idea of how I think and who I am. So, and I'm always happy to have conversations. So on the website, you can schedule a 20 or 25 minute free call with me. If you have an idea, if you want to talk about some kind of principle, or if you just want to have a chat because you're an entrepreneur and you find that exciting, I'm, I'm always happy to, to connect. Um, and one last, we know I've got the beautiful quote from your grandfather, um, mm -hmm. always take the road less traveled, which mm -hmm. thanks very much. I saw the bottom of that on the Courage to Dare to Pioneer video that, that I did the other week. What's one piece of advice you would give anyone, I would say, who wants to consciously consume or create? What hmm. mantra should they have with them? I think I will share maybe one of the very first teaching I had from my meditation teacher, which is accomplish a great task by a series of small acts. Mm -hmm. Meaning right. that... In meditation, you don't attain enlightenment just by sitting 10 minutes on the cushion. I mean, there are a couple of people that did that in the past, but you know, it's more the exception than the rule. The rule is you're going to sit for a long, long time before you know, anything happens, but that's compounds. And that's the same with your behavior. You cannot change your wardrobe, your interior design, your house, your tomorrow morning. It's, it's too much. Why you can change is one thing. And maybe it's not buying that lettuce that is wrapped with plastic bag because that's, that's too much. And maybe find another store where you can buy a lettuce that is just a lettuce or a banana that is not wrapped because, you know, that's, that's a bit much too. So you can, you can make those decisions and stick by them. And when you do that, eventually they become a habit and then you, take, you can take number two. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think the overarching thing to unlimited thinking is number one, go inward and start realizing that there is more knowledge that sits within. If you stop racing around, you might hear it. That anyone has the opportunity to be a pioneer. You've just got to be able to listen to yourself uh, and allow the process to unfold. 
And the other thing is that when you're ready, the next level will appear for you. You can't rush that. You've just got to do the work and trust it. And there lies the beauty of development and evolution of self. So one part of our lives is education. And Mm. the second part of our life is almost, I'd say, dismantling society's education and putting ourselves back together again in a sovereign aspect, but Mm. always blending how we need to show up in everyday world, because there's just not going to be a utopia where people can blink and it's all understood. We've got to learn how to communicate uh, with accuracy just as much as Mm. compassion. And then if someone doesn't understand where we're coming from, it's not always our fault. Just everyone has a different filter. And, um, you know, I think that's really important too, but it is your responsibility to define what your bottom lines are, just like you have planet, people and profits. Mm-hmm. Um, and to take those beautiful life skills and stories that you are sharing with your clients and with your family and with all of us. So Philippe, thank you so much for your time today on the show. Very mellow and gracious conversation from a very um, intelligent man. So we're very lucky to have you. I will put the links to your TEDx chat, Mm, to LinkedIn, uh, to your website um, and everything else. You can find the episode on all uh, podcast channels from Spotify, iTunes, everywhere else uh, that does podcasts. It's free, the Mojo Maker Show. Uh, Please come along, like, subscribe. We'd love your review. And also hop over to my YouTube channel, Uh, For the Mojo Maker Show, Vitality Coach TV, it's free as well. Uh, Hit the notification bell and like and subscribe. And if you love this, please share um, because more and more people that have the tools to stand up and to trust their crazy ideas, this life will become very enriching. So thank you for listening wherever you're tuning in. Uh, Reminder that you are in the driver's seat. um, It just takes a couple of shifts and coordinates uh, to press pause and you stay healthy, wealthy and wise. This is Philippe. Yashad from D2 Innovation with Nikki Fogdemore on the Mojo Maker Show. Thank you, Nikki, for having me today. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'd love your review on iTunes, or you can jump online to thevitalitycoach.com.au. For more from Nikki, to sign up for the Monday Mojo, and the Vitality Coach TV on YouTube.